one of the things that we love to do is just spend time in God's Word each week, and we've been walking through a series through the book of James, and so it's entitled Authentic Living. And so in case you weren't here last week, let me just tie in last week to this week. Uh, last week, Dustin preached. Um, Xavier and I, we were in, actually in New York. Um, we went to a Yankees-Red Sox game last week for his 12th birthday, and that was pretty cool. We got to see the Yankees beat the Red Sox 9-2, to so all was good. Um, and then we got to go to church with his grandparents last weekend. So Dustin was here, thankful for him and faithfully teaching. And Dustin was, had the first part of chapter 5, and it's that, that these rich people were oppressing um, these other people. And the people who were being uh, the sufferers were crying out to the Lord, and the Lord heard their cries. And I just, I just want us just to stop for a moment and just realize that, that there's over 6 billion people in the world today. And the Lord hears your cry. Do you believe that this morning? That the Lord hears your cry. That he cares about you. See, a lot of times we think that the Lord doesn't care about us. Why would he care about me? Nobody else does. The Lord of creation cares about you. And so... He tra- James transitions in this section this morning with this idea of, uh, of that those who are suffering, just be patient because the Lord is going to come and he's going to be this really good judge. And so that, that's where we're headed this morning. I'm really excited for this passage. I, I love this series. We have one more week of James and then we get to start a new series in the fall and so it's going to be the life of Moses, so that's where we're headed next. Um, many of you have heard the story of Moses, but for some of you, it, it might be completely new. Uh, and so I love uh, just thinking about just how uh, the God of uh, creation was so faithful to his promises in the book of Exodus. So we'll start there in two weeks, um, but this week, we're going to look at James 5, 7 through 12, and this idea of this coming judge. Uh, so let me, uh, let me read 7 through 12, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray and walk through this passage together. So James writes this. So keep context in mind what Dustin taught last week. Then here he says, starts with a command. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits patiently. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I 
I beg this morning that you would um, that you would speak through me, um, the one who has uh, not kept these promises or these commands. I'm um, I'm in need of grace this morning. Lord, I'm thankful for your gospel, how it's at work, and I, I pray that you would speak to us, uh, that you would give us eyes um, to see the, the richness and beauty of this passage, that we would see that you are faithful and true, Lord, that you want all of us, you don't want just our Sunday mornings. You want our entire lives, and so Lord, I pray that you'd convict us of sin, I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, may we leave this place changed by your word, we believe it's powerful, we believe it's perfect, we believe it's true, so Lord, we just want to submit ourselves to your word, to you today, that we come underneath you. That we bow down before our judge. Lord, help us to get our lives centered on you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we have this coming judge in this passage. Kind of the big idea that, that he is coming. And you think about this. Like, those that were suffering in this passage from the rich who were oppressing them, they... Then and us now will all stand before the Lord one day. There'll be no stone unturned. There'll be no thought kept back from the Lord. Every single one of us, no matter our skin color, no matter our nationality, we will all stand before the one true God. And we will have to give an account for how we live. He is coming and he is going to rule and reign forever and ever. And James says here that um, first, I, I think for us, as we wait for his coming, he tells us to do some things, that we should live a certain way. And this is how he says that we should live. He says that we should be patient, but not passive. That we are to be patient on his coming, but not passive. So in verse 7, he says, be patient. It's a command. He's telling us to do something. Be patient as followers of Christ. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Now, I just want to confess that if any of you would like um, help with your garden, the Goodwin family is probably not the best family to invite to help with the garden, okay? Every year we get excited. We have big plans. Every year it's going to be a different year, all right? This year we're finally, we're going to do it. And we, every year we start a garden, and it starts out great, you know, we, we till it. I know the pools, you've been helpful. I saw you somewhere. We barther tiller and we till it garden and plant and and then we just sit and wait but we just sit and wait without doing some very important things uh, namely weeding and we sit and wait and guess what the weeds don't wait 
They just start growing, and they take over our garden. James is showing us how the farmer, he waits. Now, think about this. He uses the idea of rain. He, he waits, and he's patient for the, for the garden to receive the early and late rain. So he, he plants, and he has no control over the, over the weather. He can't make it rain, and so he's at the mercy of the Lord. But it doesn't mean he's lazy or slothful. He's not passive. Every day he's going out and he's just picking out little weeds or maybe treating it for insects, bugs, birds. He's active. Every day he's doing something so that that garden can grow. And James brings up this idea of a farmer and a garden with us, that we too are to be patient. That we just got to wait. But while we're waiting, while we're being patient, it doesn't mean we're lazy. It doesn't mean we're slothful. It doesn't mean we're passive. That we're actively doing things in our lives, like in this context, suffering. So do we just, all the injustice that we see in the world, human trafficking, do we just sit on our hands and just be patient? James is saying, no, you fight against it. You work hard against injustice, against sufferings that you see. But you, just, you have to understand that the Lord is coming and that you can't control that, just like you can't control the early and late rains. You can't control when it's going to rain. We can't control when the Lord is going to come. doesn't mean we just sit on our hands and do nothing about all the injustice we see, all the suffering. We fight. We raise our voices. We stand for those who can't stand for themselves. James is saying we need to be active. That we're to be patient, but not passive. We're to pull weeds. And you can even apply this just in your personal life. Like, what weeds in your life do you need to pull? Um, for like the last two weeks, the Lord has just been working like, this whole metaphor of farming and gardening has just been hitting me big. Like, I see how, because I'm not a great physical gardener, I see how spiritually that plays in my life. I don't do the little things. If I just got up every morning at our house and went outside and just picked a few weeds, it would take me maybe 15 minutes to walk around the house, flower beds, all the landscaping, and just out little weeds 15 minutes maybe maybe 30 minutes but what happens is I wait until you know we have a party somebody's coming over and I'm like oh man this house is a mess outside and I start pulling it takes me a couple hours same thing spiritually how many of us do that in so many different areas whether it's your marriage whether it's parenting some of you it's Sunday morning that's you just come Sunday morning and you think that's all I need to do. Come Sunday morning, hear the word of God. What, it would, what would it look like if every day we just pulled some weeds in our lives? In our marriage, in our parenting? What would it look like if you just did the little things every day? Probably spend five, ten minutes with the Lord. Just read a verse or two and just meditate on it. 
that you just take 10, 15 minutes and listen to your wife. Turn the TV off and just listen to her. Ask her questions. Talk to your children. Spend time with them. Take them, my goodness, just take them to McDonald's and eat some ice cream, just you and that child. But yet we just wait. We delay. We're so passive. We don't pursue those relationships that well. And most importantly, relationship with the Lord. And so the Lord is just, man, he's just convicting me over just pulling weeds in my life. Just how I'm just so passive. Uh, I can be slothful and lazy. And then there's the idea here of, of when you're guarding, being active, like you're fighting off the enemies. And enemies to a garden would be insects and birds. And I think about what, you know, what am I doing or what are you doing actively? Like, are you pursuing, are you, are you meditating on God's word every day? Are you, are you listening to sermons? Are you um, taking notes as you're studying uh, your Bible? I had a good time this week with Xavier. Uh, I just felt convicted. I'm like, man, I'm not leading my son well. And so part of that trip to, to New York was just like, I just want some time with him. And just, he's, and man, this, this hit me. You know, if we got him for 18 years, it's almost like set up in three groups of six. And so that first six years, you teach him who the Lord is. And then, and then you've got the second group of six. You're walking with them. And then you've got this last six. And it just hit me today. I'm like, oh, man, I'm in my last six with Xavier. As far as him being at our house at 18, he's just, yeah, right on. I'm out. Not yet. Not yet, bro. And, and so... I've got six more years with you, and I'm like, I need to just teach him how to read the Bible. And so we spent Thursday and just took him out to Rotary Park and just grabbed the picnic table, and, and we just started in the book of Acts. I've done this with college students, but I've never done it with my own son. And we just took one verse in Acts 1, Acts 1-8, and just started making observations and just trying to teach him how to read the Bible because I'm not going to be there for him forever. So I've got to teach him. I've got to be actively helping him fight off enemies because there's going to be attacks on his life. I'm not going to be there. So how am I helping him? How, how are we being actively involved in relationships? We can't be passive. The farmer cannot be passive. He can't just plant a seed and then just come back four months later. He can. I'll show you what it looks like. Come to my house. It's not pretty, um, but he's active. He's so faithful every day, just going out and taking care of that garden. And the Lord's giving us a great picture of us and our life. Remember, a few weeks ago, our life is a vapor. It's a mist. We're here for a little time, and then we vanish, is what it says. So we've got this life. What are we going to do with it while we wait for the coming of the Lord, this judge who's coming, we're to be patient, but not passive. Secondly, we're to wait, but not to worry. Verse 8 says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, 
for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. All right, so here he's telling us again this idea of being patient, to wait. And here he's tying in with the coming of the Lord. There's something about us waiting that he's saying that we should be encouraged because there's this coming of the Lord. Because he's coming, we can be patient. So what is, it, what is he talking about? Well, he brings up these ideas of this, this prophet um, who has suffered. And he brings up this idea of this judge who's standing at the door. So let's think through this. So the Lord is coming. That's all throughout Scripture. That this, this world is not done. Like, this is not it. This is not what we're living for. That, that there's coming better days where the Lord is returning and he's going to establish his kingdom forever and ever. The first time he came, it was just a short-lived um, where he lived here for 33 years, died, was raised, ascended back to heaven, and now we're waiting on his return. That's next. And so we're waiting. But while we're waiting, this world's still jacked up. It's still broken. It's fallen. And so when he comes the second time, he's going to establish his kingdom forever and ever and ever. And everything wrong will be repaired. Everything broken will be restored. And we're waiting for that. And he's saying, think about those others who have suffered. He brings up the prophets. The prophets were a position in the Old Testament. These were guys who stood up for truth. Um, guys like Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah. These men were prophets. And the Lord would speak to them, through them, for Israel. They were the mouthpiece of the Lord to his people. And oftentimes they would speak this hard truth about repentance, and they would be killed or persecuted. They would suffer. And so he, he's telling and he wants us to remember those who have suffered. And there's something about knowing that he's coming and knowing that others have gone through this. Knowing that he's coming is important because we know the end, don't we? He's been so kind to give us this book. Like, if he didn't give us this book, I could see why we would worry, why we would stress out and have anxiety, because we wouldn't know what, what the end's about. But when you know the end, it helps you not to worry. Olivia and I, we uh, somehow tricked Liza and Nate this weekend. Liza and Nate kept all of our kids. <laughs> Nate and Liza took our six kids for the whole night. So we want to watch your kids. Like, you do? Why? And so they kept all of our kids, and Olivia and I went out on a date. We went and we saw the Lion King. And it was cool, but in 1994, I was a junior in high school, I saw Lion King. And so when she and I went uh, to watch it, you know, it was kind of strange. We've already seen it, but, you know, man, it's just the technology is 
grown so much. It's cool to watch. And uh, watching it, I knew it was coming. You know what I mean by it, right? Like that scene was coming, and this time I knew about it. In 1994, I didn't know about it, and it'll mess you up. <laughs> but this time, I was ready. I kept telling myself, I'm not going to cry. Mm-mm. I'm, I'm not going to cry. And it came. I was ready. I said, I know, I know what's going to happen. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I didn't cry. I stayed tough. <laughs> but I knew it was coming. The Lord is preparing us. He said, I'm coming. You don't have to freak out and have anxiety and worry. Because we know the end. We know that things are going to be restored. I'm not belittling your situation. It's hard. It's difficult. It might not be fair. But we don't need to worry because he's coming back. And if you're in Christ, we don't need to worry. Everything will be okay when he returns in the end. And so he calls us to think forward. Know that he's coming back. That he's a judge. That all the suffering that you're going through, all the injustice that you may be facing. You know, I, I think about the news right now. I think about the, um, the, 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 uh, the death of, um, and I just went blank, Epstein. What's the first name? Jeffrey. Um, with his death and thinking about those who have suffered from him, all of the victims I don't know if you've read some of um, their stories yesterday or today. They're so angry because they wanted him to face the judge. And now because he's dead, he won't face the court system. I just want to look at them in, the, in their face and say, listen, no matter if he would have faced the judge on this earth or not, he's going to face the judge. Death is not going to escape him from answering for what he's done to so many victims. There's nothing that you and I will do or have, haven't done that we're going to have to give an account to the Lord for everything. And so he, James is trying to show us that no matter what you're going through, how wrongly you've been treated, that you don't have to seek out vengeance. You don't have to make it right. That trust the Lord, that He is a good and faithful and true, honest judge. And everything that's been wrong, that He will make right. And He will punish. And there will be a sentence far worse than what any judge on this earth could ever give. That those who have rebelled away from Jesus will face an eternity in hell. And that Jesus stands at that gate. He stands at that door to let them in 
for eternity of heaven or eternity of hell. That one man will stand in that door, Jesus Christ. He says, you don't need to worry. Let me be the good and righteous judge. I know it's not right. I'm just telling you just to be patient. Just wait. Wait, but not worry. And he ties it in here with this idea of the, those who have suffered. And he really wants us to think about those who have also suffered. That looking at them who have suffered will ease, not, not eliminate, but ease your suffering. I remember in 1997, I joined the Army, and I went to basic training, and it was awful. Uh, it was miserable, and I hated it. And the first day I got there, um, man, there's a drill sergeant. If you, like, could draw out uh, this character of, like, what a drill sergeant should look like, Sergeant Clay would be the guy you would look at to draw. He was just this massive, massive man. And as soon as I got there, they had us all, we had these um, concrete squares we stood in. They were probably, I don't know, four by four, five by five foot squares. And we each had our own one. And we had a very small company. It wasn't very large. There's only like 32 of us, which normally it's much larger than that. So the bad part is, is that made us all look more like individuals instead of a group. So there's probably six drill sergeants there when we got off the bus and they put us in our squares. And Sergeant Clay comes around and he's just eyeing us up. And uh, he sees good one. And he comes over to me and he just says, good one. He says, where are you from, good one? So West Virginia, sir which was problem number one. You don't call a drill sergeant, sir. They get really offended by that. So after a long time of doing push-ups and sit-ups for a while, we finally get back up, and, or I get back up. There's no we. I get back up, and he's yelling at me. He says, you're from West Virginia. He says, do you have a brother in the Army? I said, I learned, yes, sergeant. And he said, is he a recruiter? I said, yes, sergeant. He said, I know your brother. I hate your brother. I thought, oh, man. I hate my brother, too, right now. And he wore me out. Uh, man, that's the first time in my life, and I've always played sports and loved to exercise and be pushed. I had never had, like, muscle fatigue to wear. I, I couldn't pick up, like, a canteen. Like, I just couldn't grip. Uh, I was in so much pain. I went in to the barracks that day, and the, the guys in my room, uh, there were uh, 16 of us, and they just looked at me and they said, I have no idea what you did to that guy, but uh, man, like, we're glad we're not you. And they took joy because they weren't, like, as long as I was, they were in my face, they knew they weren't in their face. And I thought, there was a moment that day I thought, can I do this? Can I do, and so like my basic training was unique. It wasn't, it's normally like seven or eight weeks, but mine was combined with my training, my, my job training, so it was much longer. It was, it was like 13 or 16 weeks, and it was all together. So I had Sergeant Clay, not just for seven or eight weeks, but for the whole time. And I thought, man, can I do this? Can I put up with this day in, day out for the next several months? 
You know what got me through it? Thinking about my brother. I said, man, if my brother did this, I'm tougher than my brother. So if he went through basic training, there's no way I'm quitting. And, and I just kept thinking about him and the other people that I was with. I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. This is awful, but I can get through this. And so James is calling us to look at others who have suffered. He says the prophets, they suffered. And listen, these, these were guys who God called to this position. God called them to a life, you ready for this? Where they would face suffering. I think the American church has such a terrible view, theology of suffering. We think that if we follow Jesus, that our lives are going to get so much easier. That if we are faithful to him, that he should give us a bunch of stuff. That our lives should be easy. That a job should be easy to find. That our marriage should just work magically. That our kids would start to obey. That we would have wealth. And somewhere in our culture, we've learned that, that if we follow Jesus, if we're faithful to him, that somewhere we've thought that he should do these things for us. It's like this idea of like karma. We've like mixed karma in, and it's just this terrible gospel. It's anti-gospel. Because here these men were so faithful to God, but yet they suffered. Let me tell you somebody else who suffered that was faithful. Jesus. Jesus was the most faithful human that's ever lived, but yet he suffered. And so we have to quit thinking that if I'm a Christian, that God's going to give me this easy life, that he's going to give me this house or this car or this stuff. Like that's nowhere in Scripture, but yet it's rampant in so many churches today. And it's not the gospel. Jesus tells us that we need to be ready to face suffering. That you might actually start suffering because you're a Christian. That's how this letter started. You remember that in James 1? In James 1, he starts out that way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. You're going to face trials. We need to stop trying to run from them and start embracing them and trying to find joy in them. And so while we're waiting on this coming judge, we're to wait but not to worry. The last part of this passage this morning, James wants us, wants our lives to live and reflect is this concept of like to be steadfast but not to swear. This is kind of strange. Like 11 and 12, how do they fit together? But I think it's this idea that he wants us to be consistent, that we're to be steadfast. So Verse 11, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Verse 12, it's kind of hard to see how 
it almost seems like it's kind of by itself. It's not connected. But I think it is. I think it, the point is, is that we're to be steadfast. We're to be men and women of integrity. That our yes should be yes, our no should be no, that we shouldn't waver. You remember one of the themes in James is this double-minded man, that he's unstable. And I, I think that's this point here, that we are to be steadfast. That when trials come, when suffering comes, when you see injustice in your life, that you don't just quit. Remember when Jesus is giving a sermon on the mount? And he, and he gives that, that parable of the, um, um, the parable of the, of, of the, uh, of the seed, the, the, the sower, the soil. There's four types of soil. And the first one, uh, the seed was dropped quickly, snatched away. The second two, man, they're so troubling. With the third one, there's these trials. When the trials come, you saw growth, but then trials come and, and it had no roots. And it, and it dies. I think that could be what James is talking about. There's so many people, Jesus, I love you so much. I will follow you. I love you. You're everything to me. But then when it gets hard, when life's hard, and let's just be real, like, life can be hard. Some of you, you're going through hard stuff right now. Some type of illness, situation, circumstance. It could be marriage. Maybe it's a parental issue. Like, life's just hard right now. And you just, there's a part of you just wants to quit. And Jesus is saying, no, let your yes be yes. If you say you're going to follow me, follow me. Don't follow me just because it's easy and good. Follow me even when it's hard. Stay with me. Be steadfast. Don't quit. Why? Because life's a vapor. We think suffering's going to last. Like we're like, man, I just don't know how in the world I'm going to keep going through this. It just seems like it's never going to end. When, you, when you're suffering, the truth that life is a vapor is one of the most comforting things for you. That it's not going to be forever. Life's a vapor. So we need to be steadfast. And he says here, look at Job. Look how Job, you know the story of Job, if, if you're kind of new to the Bible, I want to encourage you this week. I want to challenge you. Go to Job. Job's in the Old Testament. Looks like Job, but it's Job. It's a guy. And uh, crazy story about suffering. Uh, I mean, you name it. I mean, this guy's the face of suffering. Like, whatever you're going through, there's going to be some way Job, you can identify with Job. I mean, his life, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. And there's a point near the end of Job, of the book of Job, where he begins to question God. It's almost like he's, he's maybe thinking about quitting. 
And then God comes back and just questions him. And Job just, after hearing the questions from God, Job just kind of just says, you're right, I'm wrong. I, it's foolish of me to question you. You are good. I, I get it. I get it. I surrender. And that's what God wants from us. Complete surrender that we trust him, that he's a good and faithful judge. And he wants our yes to be yes and our no to be no. That when you tell someone you're going to be there, you're going to be there. That you're men and women of integrity. That you are steadfast and faithful. You don't waver. Man, one of the coolest compliments that this church has received um, that I've heard was uh, Friday. Friday, we went to Spring Hill, several of us, and did some, uh, some yard work. Um, and we were working and just mulching and just doing some random stuff to help um, school look better when it starts up this week. And um, one of the teachers there, I was talking to him, and, and he said, man, he's like, I, I knew that it was just going to be me and Sarah today here cleaning everything, or at least that's what I thought. So, so I just thought, man, it's going to be a long day. He said, I got here, wasn't very excited. He said, I, and I saw Dustin come in. And when Dustin came in, he said, I, I just smiled. And, and, uh, and Dustin said, hey, I got about 10 or 12 people coming with me. And he said, at that moment, he said, they weren't there, but at that moment, I knew that they were coming. He said, I didn't have to worry because when you guys say you're going to do something, you just do it. Like, you guys have been so consistent and faithful, and I know if Huntington Community Church says they're going to help, they're going to help. I knew that 10 or 12 people were going to come. And I just thought, man, that's a, that's a great compliment that our church is known by our yes being yes and our no being no. Part of our values is, though, that we say no to a lot of things so that we can say yes. We want to say yes to Spring Hill, so we have to say no to a lot of other stuff. Um, but we're going to let our yes be yes and our no be no, and we want to be men and women of integrity. We don't want to be wishy-washy. We don't want to be double-minded men and women. We want to be stable and steadfast. If we say we're going to follow the Lord, that's why I love our membership class. That you guys, that when you become, when you go through that class and you become a member of this church, part of it is you're inviting uh, accountability into your life to help you be steadfast. That when we see you start to waver, that, that there's going to be somebody checking in on you saying, hey, you said you're going to follow Jesus. Why, why are you stopping? We're in this together. We're not going to let you stop. We don't want you to quit. And so I, I love that so many of you, when you become a member, like that's the part you love. You love that like, you love that we're a church that's going to help you keep your word and be faithful and be steadfast. So James, he's, he's encouraging us to live and to have these kind of attributes in our life, to be patient but not passive, to wait but not to worry, to be steadfast but not to swear. But when I look at this passage, man, there's some bad news in this. The bad news is that there's a judge who's coming and that this judge doesn't need any witnesses. He doesn't need a jury. He knows the thoughts and actions 
of every man and woman in human history. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And if we keep all of James in context, a few months ago when Job preached, back in chapter 2, there's a little verse in James 2 that says, for whoever keeps the whole law, okay, that's big. It's a big, it's a big task to keep the whole law. But fail in one point, you become accountable for all of it. So you keep all the law, but you fell in one point. And it doesn't matter what that one point is. It could be lying. Anybody ever lied? If you wouldn't raise your hand, you're lying. We've all lied. We've all done something that would have broken the law. And when you break the law, even for a little part of it, you're lumped in with all of it. You're just, you stand guilty. And so we've all broken the law, and there's a judge who's coming. And listen, the first time that he came, he came as a little baby, and he came to establish peace between uh, us and his father. But when he comes a second time, I mean, he, he, he's coming fast, and he's coming to judge. And it's going to be a scary, scary day. That's the bad news. That he's coming to judge all of those who are guilty. And according to Scripture, everybody on this big ball we call earth, we're guilty. It's going to be a bloody, bloody day because the punishment is death. That's the bad news. But I love the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Here's the good news. Is that Jesus came the first time to make peace. So that what would be bad news can be good news for us. That The bad news is that we've rebelled. We've, we're guilty. But the good news is, is that he lived the life that we couldn't live. He didn't break any of the law. He was perfect. And his perfection counted for us. So he lived a perfect life sinless. He died in your place, in my place. He was a substitution for us. And then he died for us, and then to show us that he has the power to, to be that substitution, he was raised from death. He's reigning in heaven right now, and he's waiting to come back. And for those of us who have repented of sin, trust that he is our substitution then we won't face this punishment. It won't be the worst day ever. It will be the greatest day ever. But for those of you in this room that have never repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, it will be a terrible, my word can't even describe it. You think the suffering you're going through now is awful. Facing Jesus on that day, 
I mean, as Dustin taught last week, it's going to be a day of slaughter. And yet for us, we are covered by his blood, that he was slaughtered for us so that we could have life, that we can wait now with patience and embrace the suffering because we know one day it's going to come to an end and we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. It's going to be an incredible day of celebration. But if you're here this morning and you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, you've never repented, I would love to talk to you about that. Um, we're going to sing some songs this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And while we're singing, if you just want to know more about how to follow Jesus, how you can um, understand what it means to be saved, I would love to talk to you. So I'm just going to be standing here in the back or after the service today or whoever invited you. Today could be the day of your salvation. I was at a family reunion yesterday, and um, in 1998, I went and visited some of this family in North Carolina. And man, like, just so encouraging seeing them yesterday. Just, I got to tell them, like, those two weeks I came down to visit you changed my life. Uh, they invited me to come down and... Um, I, I had no church background. I could care less about Jesus, who he was. Um, I was a student at Marshall, loved my life. And they invited me down, and I went to church. They were like in revival. I went to a lot of services with them. And man, the Lord just grabbed a hold of me. He, he opened my eyes, and for the first time in my life, I realized I was a sinner, that if I would have died, I would have gone to hell. And they just showed me what it meant to follow Jesus. And Yesterday, I got to thank them. I said, man, that, that weekend or those, that time with you changed my life uh, 21 years ago. And it forever changed me for who I am. And uh, that could be your story today. Like, maybe the Lord's convicting you of your sin and you've never given your life to him. And you could have the most incredible life. But it's got to be in Christ. It can't be on your own. So I'd love to teach you how to, what that looks like what the Bible says about that life. Uh, so as we sing, if you feel convicted or just, if you just need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. So I'll be in the back. Um, so let me, let, me, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would, uh, that you would encourage us this morning with the gospel, that we would know that we can face suffering, that we know that, um, that no injustice will be hidden that you're going you're gonna to make sure everything that was wrong has been made right. That we don't need to seek vengeance. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be patient in the midst of our suffering and our, and our troubles. Lord, help us to long for your coming, that it's going to be an incredible celebration. It's great. The most exciting day will be in human history. It will be the most frightening day also in human history. Lord, I pray for those who are not in you this morning, who have never surrendered to you. I pray that you'd convict them of their sin, that you'd make them miserable, that they would have no joy in their life until they surrender to you. I thank you for calling us to you, that you 
you captivate our hearts, Lord. I pray that you're doing that in this room this morning. Draw men and women to you. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.